Feels good to me. I hate cold weather. Hates me and I hate it. You know how you know it's cold outside? It's warm here. That's a good point. You know how it's cold outside? Because Jim Gentry's got long pants on. <laughs> oh, my brother. That's how you know it's cold because Jim's wearing long pants. That, that uh, is a rare occurrence. If you need a copy of the, uh, God's Word, just raise your hand. Jim and, and or Chris will be glad to give it to you. You can go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 11. Acts, chapter 11. I want to thank you again for those of you that uh, were able to help yesterday at the uh, help group. I think the weather kept a few people away, but we ended up with, with over 250 families that we helped, and uh, it was crazy upstairs. I was up there for a while, and just so, but we were able to serve 250 families again yesterday, so thanks to all of you and your prayers, even if you weren't there. Your prayers and your gifts as you give to the church makes it possible for us to do all that. So thank you. Genuinely appreciate it. Also, on a personal note, I want to thank you for all. I got a bunch of birthday texts and different things for everybody. I left here Wednesday night. They even had a little cake for me Wednesday night here. And, and, that, and uh, my birthday was Thursday. And uh, I got many, many wishes and texts from a number of you and others and God has a sense of humor. It was my birthday Thursday, I turned 65, and I woke up and could not move. I mean, my back was locked up. And until this morning, it was, uh, I mean, severe pain. That's how you know it's bad. When, when you've got to go wake your wife up, I said, Mary, you're going to have to help me put my pants on. That's, that's when you know you have arrived. And she, she said, what are you doing waking me up? I said, well, I got to go to help day, and I, I ain't going in my underwear. So you're going to have to help me put my clothes on. And uh, today I didn't have to wake her up. So it, it's gradually getting there. So that's where I had to stand up. I never should have fallen on that basketball years ago and hurt myself. Y'all, y'all feel sorry for me? I didn't think so. All right, Acts chapter 11, if you will turn there. By the way. If you think you want a preset book for the next class, that I'll be doing it Sunday nights in Bartlett and here on Wednesday nights, just so you see, either see me or Mary out in the lobby afterwards. They're only $15 this time because it's a smaller book. So, but if you'd like a, a preset book, we're doing Hebrews part three. You don't have to take parts one or two. You don't have to have taken parts one or two to do it. But if you'd like a preset book, just uh, you can see one of us afterwards. And... If you'd like to help paint a room today, you can hang around. We're going to paint room four after church today. So my son-in-law back there at the sound booth and John Everson, I know they'd love to have you with a roller. So if you'd like to help do that after church, you, you can do that today. All right, Acts chapter 11. We are looking at, as we continue through the book of Acts, we've come to a critical moment in church history. This is where the church at Antioch begins. And we talked about last week, Antioch, and we're going to be looking at it for several weeks. Last week, we looked at Antioch as the model church for evangelism. Talk more about, a little bit about that in a moment. Today, what we're going to look at today and next week is Antioch as the model for discipleship. And specifically and particularly, and it's really a very encouraging study we're going to look at the next two weeks, is the man Barnabas. And... 
Some of you will remember when we were studying through uh, the Gospel of Mark, and there was some th- we, we took a, a moment and looked at nicknames that people have. And Barnabas was the man's name. But he was given a specific nickname by the apostles and others who were around him for any period of time. He was given a nickname. Anybody remember what that was? Son of Encouragement. Son of Encouragement. As we're going to see, and we have seen a little bit, particularly in the life of Saul of Tarsus, were it not for Barnabas historically stepping into the gap and vouching for this man, Saul of Tarsus, he never would have become the Apostle Paul to the Gentile. Barnabas is one of those people that you know the name and you know it's a Bible name. You don't hear, you know, there are a lot of Barneys running around, but uh, probably the greatest character ever in television history was whom? Barney Fife, without any question at all. So, there are a whole lot of Barneys running around, but there are a lot of Pauls. Paul isn't one of those biblical names that many people name their children. You don't see people go, let's go to the Bible and pick out a name for our child, and Barnabas jumps out at you. But God used this man in an incredible way in the history of the church. He just simply was available to God. He did what God wanted him to do, and he he did what God specifically gifted him to do. He didn't try to be Saul of Tarsus. He didn't try to be Peter. He didn't try to be someone he was not. He tried to be Barnabas and the best Barnabas he could be for the kingdom of God. And the Lord used him in an an amazing way, we're going to see over the next two weeks, to the point that our ancestors were the results when the gospel went to Europe and our ancestors get saved. And obviously the church begins and grows exponentially, grows like crazy under the, the ministry of the Apostle Paul, who had it not been for Barnabas, wouldn't have happened. God used him in his sovereign plan to vouch for Saul of Tarsus so the church would accept him to go get him at Antioch so he could help. Barnabas has encountered this church, this amazing new church, and he needs help, and he goes and he gets Saul of Tarsus. It had been 10 years. And he goes and gets him, and and it's where it begins, right here in Antioch. So it's an amazing study historically for us as the church to understand concerning church history. So last week, we looked at Antioch as a model for evangelism, that these lay Jews, they came from Jerusalem down to, up to this place called Antioch, and they got outside their comfort zones. And for us, we, it's something we have to learn applicably in our lives as believers. They stepped out of their comfort zone as Jerusalem Judean Jews and got involved in the lives of Cypriotic and Antiochian Gentiles. And again, we've talked about this many times, but it's important historically and contextually in Scripture to remember, Jews did not like Gentiles. They wanted nothing to do with them. They considered them less than human. And the thing that they were learning, we saw in the life of Peter with Cornelius, And what they were learning was this new thing that Jesus called his church, where he said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He made it clear in his great commission to us. You see, top of your handout, in Jesus' great commission to us, he said, I want you to go make disciples. If you read all of that, he said, make disciples of the nations. They were all Jews. The nations meant Gentiles. They did not want to do that. That was not in their DNA. That's not who they were. But Jesus said, 
I'm going to send you power. And then I want you to go. And literal is, as you go, I want you to make disciples. So we look at it as a model of evangelism last week. They intentionally engaged these Gentiles, shared the gospel, the good news of Jesus as the Lord Christ. And many, many of their lives were changed. They were born again. They started a church at this place called Antioch. So today what we're going to look at today and next week is Antioch as a model now, how do you disciple all? Oh, the, the, the Bible says to us here, there were great numbers of these Gentiles coming into this new church at Antioch. And by the way, these were not the apostles that fled Jerusalem and went to Antioch to start a new church. These were just Jews that had gotten saved. And they had been at Jerusalem, and had been, they were being discipled by the apostles, and now they were scattered. We saw last week, after the persecution, when Stephen was martyred, it says a great persecution, Acts 8-1, came on the church, and, and they were scattered. And as they went, they went doing what? Preaching the word. Preaching Jesus. And now they're at this place called Antioch. Not being, they don't have the great apostles there leading them, but they're just people. Like you. People like you and me, who've just been saved. God says, every one of you is a believer. Every one of you is a priest. Now Go. Yes, he gives different groups. Yes, he establishes a leadership structure. But he says to every believer, evangelism is your job. You may not have the gift of evangelism. I don't have that gift. I know people who do, and I'm really impressed by it. But i got to be careful because that's not the gift God gave me. My gifts are, are funny, being funny. Although I don't think that's a spiritual gift, but that's one I got. That and good looks, that's all I got. Not everybody has the gift of evangelism. It's really important we understand this. Not everybody has that gift. But every one of us is called to be an evangelist. To simply live out your faith. Share your faith. Be genuine. Be a believer in the moment and the place where God uses you, has you, to use you to share the gospel. And then the church itself, the local church, is then an institution through which God begins to disciple the new believers. It's a statistical fact. It's proven. Programs don't bring non-believers to your church. What brings most people is somebody they love, somebody they respect, somebody that's cared enough about them to reach out to them and ask them to come. That's you and me. Loving people, meeting them where they are, intentionally going out of our way to begin to try to share our faith with someone. And then the church, the structure that is us as a local body, we bring them, we want a disciple, you use the church as a tool, and all the things that might be going on, something as simple as the help group we were talking about yesterday. We just do that as a loving act of believers, something God has allowed Christ's church to do, to say to the community at large in our area, we love you. And if you're hurting, we want to give you food. And if you're hurting, we want to give you clothes. If you're hurting, we want you to know we're here for you. That's a step. That's something that we do. Because Christians do good. That's what the Bible says. Went about, Jesus went about doing good. That's what we do. But it's not the end game. 
The end game is we want them to come to know Christ. We want them to know eternally the living water of the person of Jesus Christ. The bread of life. Not just the food you get now. We should do that. Obviously, we are doing it. And it's a great ministry. But it doesn't stop there. We want people to come to know Christ. Because eternity is a whole lot longer than 80, 90, 100 years you might be on this planet. John wrote his entire gospel. And he said, the reason I wrote it is this. That you might know that Jesus is the Christ. And that by believing in his name, you might have life. Both now and forever. We have that in Christ. And the Lord wants us to, to share that. So here we are contextually. The gospel is spread to Antioch. You've got lay Jews sharing with Gentiles. Incredible numbers are coming to know Christ. And God's hand is on them. Look at Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 19. 11, 19. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. By the way, you'll see two Antiochs as you read through Acts here. It's important that you differentiate. You'll see Antioch of Pisidia, and that's coming up later. And you'll see Antioch of Syria. This is Antioch of Syria that we're talking about, where this church is. Pisidia is a different one. So let's put that aside for a moment. Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, pre- <coughs> excuse me, preaching the word to no one but to Jews only. We dealt with that last week. But some of them, remember these are Jews, coming from Jerusalem after being persecuted after Stephen's martyrdom. Some who were from Cyprus and Cyrene, when they had come to Antioch, they spoke to the Hellenists, that's the Gentiles there, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. So, they're now in Antioch. Huge numbers of Gentiles are coming to know Christ, and this church is beginning we talked about this a little bit last week, but I want to hit it more, some, make sure you get the historical picture of what's going on. Antioch was not like your little bitty town. It wasn't like an Arlington, Tennessee, or a Jackson, Tennessee. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire, only behind Rome and Alexandria. It had about, not the size of Memphis, almost a million population in their metro area, if you want to term metro, about 750,000 people in the city itself. So it was a big place. It was a very cosmopolitan place. It was noted for its culture, noted for its commerce. The main street of Antioch was about four miles long. It was paved with marble. It was a very beautiful place. And and it was lined with colonnades all down it, also marble. So you get a, a picture of it. It was the only city in the world currently at that moment in time as we look at this. It's the only city in the world at that point in time that had streetlights. Now, they probably didn't have MLG and W, but they had streetlights. So at night, when you would walk down that beautiful main street, it was lit up. It was a very pagan place, very wicked place, the local shrine kind of in the suburbs to the god. They honored all the Roman pagan gods, all the Syrian gods, all the Greek gods. They were all honored, but the one that they paid the greatest homage to, and they had the temple for her, was Daphne. And the way they worshipped Daphne was with ritual prostitution. They honored all the gods, but Daphne was their primary focus. So here's what I want you to see as we step into the aspect of discipleship. The hand of our sovereign God. 
The church begins at Jerusalem, and it's very much a Jewish thing up at this point. Even with what Peter went through with Cornelius and uh, Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch, it's still very much a Jewish thing. It's looked at on the Romans. They simply thought of it as another sect of those crazy Jews. They still went to synagogue. They still practiced many of the, the feasts and things, but they would come to accept Jesus as Messiah. They just still did things in a very much a Jewish way. But God was making it clear. Remember Jesus' commission. Go, 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 and make disciples of all the nations. Not just the Jews, but to all the Gentiles in the Roman Empire. Everywhere, make disciples. And I'll be with you always. So, God in his sovereign wisdom is doing this. He's going to take the center of the church, which had been at Jerusalem, led by the apostles. That's where everything took place, obviously, with Jesus, that area. He's moving it now, 300 miles north to a place called Antioch. Even though there's a large Jewish population in Antioch, it is a Gentile, cosmopolitan, very much pagan, anti-monotheistic God place. And God, the Lord God says, here at Antioch will now be the home base of my church. From Antioch, I'm going to send the Apostle Paul on his missionary journeys. This would be his base. And he's going to go and take the gospel to all the world. God is, this is a historical moment in the history of the church when God establishes For the first time, a truly Gentile church that's going to begin to be the base through which God is going to take the gospel to the whole world. And it all begins, take your hand out now, it all begins with our friend Barnabas. Look at verse 22. First thing you see about Barnabas is that he's an emissary. Verse 22. The news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. I want you to pause for a moment and go, oh, all that I've gone over, just so we'll kind of see something together. The news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. What are these things in the context of all we talked about last week and I've mentioned today? What are these things? It's all that's going on in Antioch. It got back to the home office. I know when I was in the, the business world, the home, home office of the company I worked for was Cleveland, Ohio. And the last thing you wanted to see on your phone was that you got a message from Cleveland. Because I worked out of my home and my boss was here in town. And if I had to deal with him, that was one thing. But if somebody from Cleveland called, it usually wasn't good. And it was an interesting place to work for. And Cleveland was an interesting place to go. What's happening here, these things, gets back to the church at Jerusalem. In other words, the boys at the home office have found out what's going on in Antioch. And they got to do something about it. These things, all these Gentiles are getting saved. Notice, remember, great numbers, we just read it. Jewish lay people are preaching the Lord Jesus to Gentiles. And it gets to the ears of the church at Jerusalem. Now remember, these are the leaders. These are the apostles. These are the elders. These are the ones who have been commissioned to lead Jesus' church at this point. And all this is going on in Antioch 300 miles away. They can't just get on their computer and check it out by email or get on a website. So what do they do? Very important. Look at verse 22 again. What do they do? They send whom? 
Barnabas, verse 22, they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. It's a critical moment in church history. The person they choose for this job is really important. Because as Jews, even at this point, many of them, including the leaders, were still struggling with bringing Gentiles in. Not that they couldn't come into the church. Please note this. This is really important. They didn't so much have a problem with Gentiles accepting Jesus as their Messiah or coming into the church. Christ was a Greek term. Messiah was a Jewish term. They didn't have any problem with them becoming followers of Jesus as the Messiah coming into their church, but they wanted them to become Jewish proselytes first. So the person they choose, if it had been a legalistic, by the law, guy that they sent down there, he could have gone in and said, whoa, 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 we can't have this. I don't see anybody getting circumcised. I don't see this. You know, I don't see anybody going through the rituals. We can't have this. But notice they sent Barnabas. Again, you see the sovereign hand of God. It's their responsibility as leaders to fulfill the Great Commission. They need to make sure what's going on in Antioch is correct, that they really are, are listening to the gospel and getting saved. They want to help establish the church at Antioch. And they want to have unity between that church and the one at Jerusalem, where the, obviously the home office. And they send Barnabas. Because on the hand of God, they sent the perfect man for this job. Why Barnabas? Well, number one, again, there on your handout, Barnabas is from Cyprus. He speaks the language. He would be accepted as somebody, not an outsider, coming in trying to tell them what to do. He would have been somebody that could speak like a Hellenistic Jew. He could, that's what he was. He could speak to the Greeks. They would understand. Not an outsider. Somebody who would be accepted. He was, a, he was known as a caring, generous man. Flip back for a moment to chapter 4 in Acts. 436. 436. Here's his full name. Joseph, it says Joseph in some of your translations. It's Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement. He was a Levite of the country of Cyprus. So he's obviously a Jewish guy. He's a Levite, but he's also a Cypriot. He's a Hellenistic Jew. Having land, he sold it, and he brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. He's known as a caring, generous man. Nickname is son of encouragement because that's what he did. Generous, they needed, they had a need. He sold some property and he brought the money, gave it to the apostles to meet the need. He was a generous believer, a caring believer, a well-respected one. So he's a one that everyone looked up to. He's a Cypriotic Jew who could help bridge this gap. So they send him. Second point on your handout, verse 23. Back in chapter 11, verse 23. When he came and he had seen the grace of God, he was glad. And he encouraged them all that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. So when Barnabas gets there, what does he do? What does he not do first? Let's focus on that. 
He doesn't run in and straighten everybody out. He doesn't run in to criticize. He doesn't run in to correct everything that they're doing. As a Jew coming in to straighten out the Gentiles and these lay Jews. Make, listen, this is what we got to do. He goes in and he observes what's going on. You notice what he saw. Number one, verse 23, he saw the grace of God. Very important you see this picture because it's everything in the New Testament flows from this moment. He saw the grace of God. The grace of God is we get our English word charisma from the Greek word, C-H-A-R-I-S. He saw God at work. What he saw was his gift was encouragement. We're going to see later he brings in Saul of Tarsus, whose gift is teaching one of their gifts. But what he sees when he says he saw the grace of God, he saw that these people who were being saved at Antioch and coming into the church, that it was real, that it was genuine. No, they were not becoming Jewish proselytes. No, they weren't going through the steps of the law. No, they weren't doing all of those things. What they were was real. They were coming to Jesus as they were their Christ, their Savior, and that he saw the grace of God. For by grace you're saved, through faith. It's, a gift of, it's not a gift of God, it's not you. Not of works, lest any man should boast. He sees the hand of God at work, that these people are genuine, that they're being saved. He saw the grace of God. He saw God's love, God's mercy for both the Jews who were there, the Jews who were sharing and the other Jews who were there and the Gentiles. The Bible in Ephesians 4 says these words. You don't have to turn there. It says this. Apostle Paul writing to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. I want you to pause. Make sure you look at the screen for a moment. Look at that. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That begins right here. Right now, Saul of Tarsus, we're going to see, he's back in Tarsus. He got run out of Jerusalem, fled for his life ten years prior. Jesus has saved him miraculously on the road to Damascus, and he goes to Jerusalem, and this man named Barnabas has to vouch for him so the church will accept him. Remember, what does Saul of Tarsus do for a living before Damascus? As a matter of fact, he was on his way to Damascus to do what? Imprison and murder have killed followers of Jesus of Nazareth, followers of the way. He was hunting them down like animals and taking everything away, imprisoning them, having them killed if possible. And he was really good at his job. And Jesus saves him. And he begins to preach the gospel. So he goes to Jerusalem and he wants to join the church. And they had a committee meeting and said what? Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> We're not taking him in. That's Saul of Tarsus. Are you out of your mind? He's our number one enemy. We're not taking him in. And who stands up for him and vouches for him and says, no, I saw him 
preached the word. I've seen God, the grace of God in work in his life. Who did that? A man named Barnabas. The son of encouragement. And because Barnabas was so well respected, the church accepted Saul of Tarsus. And then they came after him. And he had to flee Jerusalem. We saw all of this. And now it's been 10 years. But later he writes these amazing words. I'm not worthy. That's what grace is. You see, none of us are worthy. But God gives us his best when we're his enemy. He could not have had a greater enemy than Saul of Tarsus. And Jesus who said to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Because you're persecuting my people. Why? And he saves him and he gives him a job to take the gospel to the Gentiles. It's beginning right here at Antioch. He's not even involved yet, but God's beginning it with Barnabas, who's going to call when he needs help, because there's so many people, he can't handle it. And he says, who am I going to call? Oh, yeah, I'll call my old friend, Saul. I'll go get him. He's about 100 miles away. I'll go find him. I'll bring him here, because he's the perfect man for this. We're going to see more about that next week. He's the perfect man for this job. Here's what I want you to notice. Saul understood grace. Barnabas understood grace. Barnabas saw grace at work in a person's life when he got to know him. He saw it in Saul of Tarsus' life. That as as wicked and as cold as Saul of Tarsus had been toward anybody who was following Jesus, like Stephen, for example, holding its, (coughs) its clothes as he's murdered Saul of Tarsus was consenting unto his death, Acts says. But God was doing something. Because he was going to take that Saul of Tarsus and make him the apostle Paul to the Gentiles. Barnabas was the encourager that's going to make that happen. So he gets to Antioch. And he sees the grace of God at work. As the encourager. You see, Paul also said, each one of you has grace. Barnabas is seeing that in the lives of these Antiochian Gentiles. They're genuinely saved. They want to follow Jesus as their Christ. And he wants to know, what can I do to help? Because Paul also wrote these words in Romans. Receive one another. Receive one another just as Christ received us. To the glory of God. You see, Barnabas got to Antioch and he checked out what he saw and he saw the grace of God at work. And he said, we as Jews need to receive these Gentiles as fellow brothers. Paul writes so much about that later on. Fellow brothers, receive them so that God can be glorified. Far beyond this Jewish thing, the church will go. So he sees the grace of God. Notice the next thing there in verse 23. He was glad. I love this little word. Here's his feeling. Not, oh my God, what are we going to do with all these Gentiles? This is going to create problems back home at the office. This is not going to go over well. No, he sees people being saved. He sees people, the grace of God at work in their lives. And he just says he was glad. You know what the word means in Greek? It means he rejoiced exceedingly. He was so happy for these people that their lives were being changed eternally. 
Note, again, he's a Jew. And he's thrilled that Gentiles are experiencing the grace of God. He's the son of encouragement. Now here he is, the official emissary from headquarters. He sees what's going on. He's excited about what God is doing, thrilled to his soul. So here's the question he asks himself. I love Barnabas. I wish I could have another child. I'm going to name him Barney. I should have named my son that anyway, but Mary wouldn't let me. You know how she is. All right. He says, what am I going to do? Remember, what's his gift? It's encouragement. What's the rest of the verse say? Verse 23, look at it. He did what? He encouraged them all. All. I hope if nothing else, as we study Acts and we look at this, that you're encouraged. Every one of you. If you're born again, if you've experienced the grace of God and you've become a Christian, God wants to use you to reach out to others, to share the gospel, to encourage them. He wants to encourage you of how important you are. You matter. You're of a great value to the kingdom. God didn't save you just so you could be saved. You know, that's a great thing. He saved you to use you while here to impact your sphere of influence for the kingdom of God. So he says, what can I do? I'm going to encourage them. Look at Acts 13, 43. Why does he encourage them? Because that's who he is. 13, 43. We'll get to this later on in our study, but I just want you to see it right now, specifically about Barnabas. 1343, when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes, this would be the Gentiles, they followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. This is who he is. Let me encourage you. We're going to see it here at Antioch. Let me encourage you. You've been born again. Don't give up. Persist, persevere, continue, don't give up. Let me encourage you how special this is. It's going to be tough at times. Don't give up. Look at chapter 14, verse 22. 14:22. Strengthening the souls of the disciples. Again, it's at places like Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Strengthening the souls of the disciples. This is believers exhorting them to continue in the faith, this is Barnabas, and saying, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Because that's who he is. He speaks the truth in love. Here's what he's saying. It's saying, he exhorts the disciples. It's going to be very hard for you. You're going to go through some very difficult times. I can look around the room, um, my heart hurts for some of my brothers, sisters. The tough times that you have to go through. Here's what God says. I'm in the middle of it with you. And he uses people like a Barnabas to come alongside. You know what the term son of encouragement means in the original language? It's the same word that's used to describe the Holy Spirit. 
the one who comes alongside the paraclete, the one who comes alongside to help in time of need. We all need a Barnabas. We all need to be encouraged and reminded of, I know it's hard. But God is doing something. And we don't always know what it is. And we may not even know until eternity. But what we do know is that he's always there. And he's always doing something. And he always wants to encourage you like a Barnabas. Don't give up. Through many tribulations, we will ultimately go home. Don't give up. Persevere. Now go back to chapter 11. Let's wrap up today. This is who he is. So he says to himself in verse 23. Go back to verse 23. He came, he had seen the grace of God, he was glad. And he encouraged them all. And notice how he encouraged them. Two ways. That with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. I don't know if you notice this or not, but the two verses we just read in chapter 13 and chapter 14, in both cases, the exact same phraseology is used. That Barnabas encouraged them to continue with the Lord. Let's look at those two things that we're going to be done for the day. We're going to share communion together. Number one, he said, I need you to make sure. Don't give up. Cultivate your faith. Have a plan. Purpose of heart. It means in Greek to set a plan to do something, to intelligently pursue a deeper relationship with your God. You see, Christianity is not meant to be this surface thing where we're just, woo, all the time. Because you don't always feel, woo. There are times it's hard. He says you've got to have a plan, a purpose in your heart to intelligently pursue your relationship. Act on what you learn. You have to learn the word of God. You have to observe it and then apply it. Learn it and then apply it to your life with all that's in you. Purpose of heart. Paul wrote, later, uh, wrote to the church of Corinth these words. My beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. As you know, your labor, pardon me, your labor is not in, <coughs> in vain in the Lord. Have a purpose, a plan. But the other thing is, in verse 23, persevere. Don't give up. Notice the phrase, continue with the Lord. I love this little phrase. With purpose of heart, continue with the Lord. In Greek, it means to take two things, and in Hebrew, it's used in the Old Testament to talk about marriage, that you take two items, a husband and a wife, and a man leaves his father and mother, and he does what? Cleaves unto his wife, and the two become one. In the Hebrew, means you take two things and you glue them together. That's the exact word that's used here. Continue with the Lord, like glue. You take, when you become in Christ, you're a new creation. He wrote to the church at Corinth, Paul did. You become a new creation. All things have passed away, all things have become new. It's no longer Randy Lockley, it's Randy Lockley in Christ. Randy Lockley, Christian. By the way, we'll see next week, where's the very first place that believers of Jesus were called Christians? Antioch. Antioch. They looked at them and said, we need a name for these people because they were primarily Gentiles. We need a new name for them because they're not Jews. We'll call them of the political party of Christ. That's what it literally means. Followers of this Christ. They kind of meant it as a derogatory thing. 
But the church took it as, all right, that's our new badge. We like that. Christians. To this day, what we call ourselves, it means little Christ. We're his. So here's what he says to them. You got to have a plan. And then you got to stick to that plan. Glue yourself to Christ and don't give up. Don't be swayed by every wind and doctrine that comes along. Paul would later write. Don't let the winds blow you here and there. Purpose. Defined. This is who I am and I'm not going to give up. Jesus put it this way. I am the vine and you are to abide in me. If you're a branch and you're not abiding in the vine and you're you're laying over here, how long are you going to live? You're not going to live because you need the vine. You need the vine. Jesus said, abide in me. One last verse and we're done for the day. We'll take communion together. 2 Peter chapter 1. Just an amazing verse. Peter wrote these words. God's divine power has given to us believers all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Here's the point Peter was trying to make, and we really need to understand this. These were new believers who needed to learn, needed to grow, God had brought the Jews from Jerusalem there, and they were leading them to Christ. And now Barnabas was there and was encouraging them, but don't, that's not the end. You've got to grow. But he's, Peter writes later, you have all things that pertain to life and godliness are in you because greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. You were given the Holy Spirit. At Pentecost, he came. Gentiles now have the Holy Spirit. He dwells inside you. You have God's word. You don't have to go seek the latest thing. You have it. It's simply a matter of accessing what you already possess. The Holy Spirit that indwells you is omnipotent. I'm all-powerful. He's omniscient. He knows all things. And he's omnipresent. You're never going to go anywhere where he can't go with you. He's always there, never asleep. The omnipotent God of the universe is your Father, who has sent his Spirit to indwell you, to encourage you, Don't give up. You've entered into the greatest relationship any human being can ever encounter or know. You're a child of God. Pursue it with all your heart. Make it the passion of your life. Stick to it like glue. Don't give up. Grow. Mature. I was thinking this week, every time as you age, April 19th of this year, I will have been a Christian for 49 years. That's a long time. I think back to how stupid I was at age 16. But all I knew was I, Jesus loved me and now I love him. What a great place to start. To grow. To grow. Not give up. It begins at Antioch. It's going to go like crazy all over the world. And by the way, we're still experiencing it to this day. The church is the one institution on planet Earth that will still be around when there is not a planet Earth anymore. The kingdom of God is the only thing that survives.
the end times. The only thing. That's who you are. What a great thought. You'd be encouraged. To share our faith. Would you bow your heads, please? Lord, as we close out our time together today, sharing the Lord's Supper, I pray we would just simply, as you tell us in your word, remember, remember who Jesus is, remember what he did, remember what we have, remember his death, his blood, his body, his resurrection, and then go and proclaim his death till he comes back. We thank you for that privilege. Pray we'd be like the church at Antioch, our model, to intentionally go out and engage our culture, and then as they come in, to disciple them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.